Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Julia West. So Julia is a goalkeeping coach and a tutor in sport and exercise science at the University of Worcester. She's also played at a high level herself and that makes her the perfect person today to discuss how you can improve a goalkeeper's physical performance. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Julia onto the show. So Julia, welcome to the uh, Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much, Matt. It's, it's lovely to be here. Talk goal ke- goalkeeping. Absolutely excellent. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Okay. Um, I'm a university tutor, so I teach in sport and exercise science. and uh, But I sort of really love the fact that I'm a goalkeeper coach. So I'm an ex-goalkeeper. Um, I played at a fairly decent standard. Um, I played for England universities and then a long time ago it was in the top flight of women's football. Didn't necessarily have the the, the names that it has now. Um, but I got into goalkeeper coaching and wanted just to give something back to players because there was very little co- coaching for goalkeepers when I was playing. Um, and I've just got fixated by it really you could say um so it's all things goalkeeping to me so i'm really happy to talk about goalkeeping excellent excellent so when when we get into goalkeepers compared to let's say all other players in all other sports and all the positions like what makes goalkeepers different from any other player okay I've, I've had a long think about this over a long period of time and people, some people say goalkeepers are brave. Some people say that, that they're crazy. Um, I don't think I'm they're crazy. Them, by the I, way. <laughs> well, I'd like to go through the brave route. Let's, let's, um, let's keep it there. Shall we? Um, yeah. And I'm thinking sort of the most obvious thing is, is if we, if we look at outfield players versus goalkeepers is the fact that keepers can use their hands um, in and in, in the 18 yard box. And, and that gives them a bit of an advantage. Well, you hope it gives them a bit, bit of a, a, an advantage in the 18 yard box. I think it's, it's the fact that if a player makes a mistake, it's usually you can rectify it before it becomes something that's written in stone. Whereas the goalkeeper, if they make a mistake, that's it. You're a goal down. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a big thing. It's a, it's a bigger thing. So there's a lot of psychological pressure on, on um, goalkeepers to try and reduce the number of errors that they're, that they're making. And yeah, some people really crumble under that pressure. So I think mental toughness and resilience, that speed of making decisions is really, really important. Um, and, and because of that, we sort of have this goalkeeper union perspective. I don't know if you've ever heard of anything like that. We, Because we understand each other. We understand we've stood there in the firing line and we've taken some of those shots and we've either done our best or, or you know, or ended up picking the ball out the back of the net. But for all the goalkeepers that I've worked with, no one goalkeeper has ever said to me that they meant to let the ball in the back of the net. So it's always a case of they don't intend to do it right. It's just because something happened or something didn't happen either quick enough or in the right place at the right time. So, um, so I think that brings us together and that makes us a little bit different as opposed to other athletes who can sort of rectify their mistakes before, you know, it gets to D-Day as it were. And obviously we're going to get onto the, the physical side of that and the different movement patterns and, and all that kind of thing in just a second. But I wanted to draw some parallels between goalkeeping in football and in other sports as well. So obviously goalkeepers tend to do kind of the same thing right so is, is there any things that we can we can take from football and apply to other sports as well 
there, there's lots. I mean, as a coach, one of my uh, main hobbies is stealing lots of other ideas off other coaches um, that I see. So sessions, I'm always looking at session plans, but I'm looking at, you know, netball session plans, basketball session plan. I mean, basketball guys have a great um, fast footwork drill. I really like those sorts of things, but they hang in the air for a long time. So I'm looking at mm, how do they manage to do that? And that's my sort of next challenge. How do they do that? What sort of things are they working on in training to be able to hang in the air? You know, I mean, you, you must have seen it on clips and what have you when it looks like they're just standing on a cloud um, and you can imagine if goalkeepers had that um, and they've gone up a little bit early for a cross but they're able to hang in the air and just just claim the ball out the, out the um, out of the sky I mean that would be brilliant um, I also have spoken to I actually live next door to a cricket coach and in my office space as well um, I have a cricket coach who's just down the corridor from me so we talk about wicket keeping in cricket because there's a lot of the reaction type drills um, and it's it's a lot about cues, cue recognition, but it's positioning. We both, we all understand that the closer you are to, to the stumps, as it were, um, then the, the shorter your reaction time, whereas the further away. So for the goalkeeper, the closer they are to their line, the more time they've got to respond to something unless that attacker's close as well. And then they've got less time to respond. So it's just getting those perspectives. So what do you do? What do you tell your players in those different sports about how to do that? I think also um, I've looked at some handball stats for the handball goalkeepers. I mean, that's fast and furious handball. Um, and those goalkeepers, they have to be really, really agile. There was a big discussion about height for handball players, whether height is a really good thing. Um, and they've come out on the side of, actually, if we've got an agile handball goalkeeper, we don't actually need to look for the tallest person. We just need to look for the person that can get up quickly, get across quickly, block shots quickly, uh, and think quickly when you've saved the ball and, and you're making a, um, initiating that attack. So I think that that probably is more important sometimes. Um, it's the same in football. I, I would look and say... If there's two keepers of a similar ability and one's taller than the other, probably, yeah, you would go for the taller guy or, or lady. But if there's um, a discrepancy in their agility and their ability, I'd take the one who was able to um, reach some of those top shots. And that's some, sometimes I've seen uh, young goalkeepers, they're very tall, but their ability to jump isn't there. Um, either coordination or timing, or maybe there's a strength element and, and what have you. So you very much got to, yes, we'd like tall goalkeepers, but we really actually override that with power and agility. That's what we're looking for. So any sport, I mean, gosh, pretty much any sport has power, some form of agility involved in there. So, yeah, we want all of those things in goalkeepers as well um, and the ability to do it quickly. So obviously you've got lots of different movement patterns, which you've already talked about, and lots of different skills that they need. So obviously they need to be big, but... Maybe not too big because there needs to be a trade-off there. They need to be powerful and agile. What kind of movement patterns are we going to look at then when we're training a goalkeeper? So obviously that's going to be different to an outfield player who might not have to use their hands to, to reach the ball. Um, what kind of movement patterns are goalkeepers going to be training? We're looking, obviously, you could have all the physical and the psychological qualities, but if you can't get yourself to the right place in the right time, then it's, it's not going to happen for you. So... Um, I'm, I'm always looking quick foot, quick footwork and anything to do, any drills that I have, like some of the basketball drills that I see with really quick feet. Um, I'm looking for those sorts of things. Um, 
In terms of whole body movement, we're also looking at pushing off laterally. Okay, so a lot of our saves are made, obviously, right and left-hand side. We, the ones that come straight at us, they're not too difficult as long as we're in the right sort of place and we can just sort of reach across for them. But it is those ones, you know, those spectacular ones by the uprights that we're looking at. And for those, we need to be able to work stably outside of our body line. And we're actually going to put ourselves horizontal in, in a flight mode. So, you know, we've we've got quick footwork pack patterns. We've got um, upper body, so hand and foot coordination as well. So we want both hands to go towards um, towards a ball. If we're looking at specific footwork patterns on the floor, we're looking at um, what I would use is, is most goals happen. Goalkeepers come off their line. They see something and they're on their way back to uh, cover the goal. So a lot of the work that I will do will be, can we come backwards and how can we come backwards effectively? But don't forget, we've got to come backwards and then we might have to change direction or we might have to jump or something. So it's 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 the movement backwards. So the forwards movement that, oh dear, that's not happening. Something's going wrong. I need to get back. Um, I usually do some sort of a crossover step or a drop step and that shifts my body to one side and then we're doing some sort of a sideways run and that could be to the right and to the left and I've seen lots of goalkeepers you know we're comfortable to the right hand side and our right foot is our dominant foot so we practice that and we've got that one nailed but it comes to the left and we've left ourselves wide open so whatever we do to one side we need to make sure we do it to the other because we've got head tilt shoulder tilt pelvis tilt that's all going on there um, and it's it is different for your dominant side versus your non-dominant side. So it is a case of let's practice it until it stops feeling weird. Um, and then we might actually be able to use it effectively. And that's for left hand manipulation as well as right hand or dominant hand versus non-dominant hand ball manipulation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if that's what you were thinking in terms of whole body patterns or whether you just wanted footwork patterns. No, um, no, that's, that's fantastic. And it, it, it brought to my mind at least the thought that essentially for the strikers listening <laughs> people are going to take a shot um <laughs> if you're willing to uh put the effort into to prepare i imagine you can work out which side the goalkeeper was weaker in right well you would expect that that would happen wouldn't you but i mean i coach outfield players as well and sometimes i say hmm, your opposing player uh do they play off their right or their left foot uh, in, in terms of their dominant foot and sometimes our players particularly I mean I work with senior women and um, I don't know if they're watching different things or they're not really aware of it but um, they don't necessarily know um, and I know I mean as an example when I played in goal um, we were doing some training and it was a, a club that was a, a lower level but it was great fun and I loved playing with them and this girl, she wasn't the greatest striker, but she kept putting a ball past me in training. And it was in a little five-a-side goal, you know, the short, long ones. And I prided myself on keeping the balls out of those nets because, you know, I was quick, I was big, I'm not small. Um, and I was able to get down really quickly. I wasn't frightened right and left. And I couldn't understand. I was sitting there going, why? What's what's going on? I was getting frustrated and everything. Just the parent was stood outside the cage behind and she put this ball in and he went, oh, great left foot. And I went, ah. Oh. And suddenly yeah. I reversed, I reversed all the cues and I popped them and I was like, yeah, left foot. Okay. So I had to reverse exactly what it was that I was doing and how I was setting up. Um, and I tell you, I mean, I probably didn't stop every single one of her shots, but she didn't have, she didn't have the run of me after that. And, and that's what I really try and get across to my goalkeepers. And I share that story often with them because I think that they need to know, you know, you can make those mistakes. And then you click in and go, ah, they've got two feet. And sometimes they might use the other one. You know, you just never know. 
So yeah, I'd I'd like to think that that it, it's a difference and that strikers can look and see which side the goalkeeper dives. But I think if you've got a high tempo game, it's it, it's one of those things that unless you're really familiar with it, that you're you're sort of you don't tend to see. You tend to be more involved in what you're doing rather than the, what what the keeper's doing. I mean, in fact. The opposite is true, and there's a lot of stats that show that um, shots go straight at the keeper. So you look at the keeper, you see the keeper, you're trying to ask yourself, you know, can I shoot past the keeper? But you end up shooting right at them. It's that distraction um, theory, isn't it, that you just end up going with what you're looking at. Don't think about pink elephants. What are you thinking about pink elephants? Right. <laughs> yeah, I need to, to get that out of my head quickly, otherwise we're not going to have a podcast. But yeah, Um <laughs> So when when you take those movement patterns, right? Like, how do you start training them? Because you've you've mentioned a lot of different factors, and for example, how your head and your pelvis and your shoulders all might be changing, and how you could be moving forwards, backwards, sideways, different kind of crossover steps. So when you go about chain, uh, looking at training that, obviously there's a lot going on in one time. So there how is. can goalkeepers then go about improving their performance by training these aspects? For me, there's a, just a big thing. It's practice and repetition. So, you know, if we look at uh, Ericsson's theory of deliberate practice, it's one of my favorite theories because you don't just catch movement patterns like you catch a cold. It's you've actually got to do them. You've actually got to put input there. Um, and it's when I roll the ball, I want keepers to have sort of like between 80 and 100 touches, maybe more in, in each of my sessions doing something to get good at it, to make it feel less awkward. So I think if you start doing basics, well, if you can move forwards and you can move backwards, if you can move sideways, at first, it doesn't matter how you move, just move. Um, then I think refining that movement is the next step, isn't it? So it's then that transition between I'm going forward, I see something happening. How can I then stop very quickly and change of and change my direction? Um, we have to be careful when we're coming backwards because people put their heads back and they end up going backwards at this sort of slanted angle and what happens there is as you put your hand up to try and make that save as that ball goes over your head you end up just pushing it into the back of the net itself so we need to make sure that we've got no so I, I use nose over toes for an example so it helps push our head which is about a third of our body weight you know keep that head over our toes and then all of a sudden we I find that that transition from forwards to backwards is a lot easier um <clears throat> I think just simple rules like face the ball, make sure that your shoulders are square onto the ball, because once our shoulders are there, we can sort of rotate our hips. But generally, we become aligned with the ball and we just then move on a slightly different plane. So we can move diagonally, we can move sideways, we can move forwards. And once we've got those down, it's then I think it's the transitions that are really important. So it's going forwards, stop to backwards and then stop to sideways or stop to diagonally backwards. And there's some movement patterns that I sort of think uh, these galloping patterns. I don't know if you understand when I talk about galloping. It's it's when both feet are off the ground and then you come back down. It's it's, it's a sort of dum type of movement. Well, it's quite vulnerable because at some point you are off the ground. So there's no ability to move until you've landed and then pushed off in a different direction. So actually, I like to get my players to think about. Um, a one, two, one, two, one, two. So their feet are going one, two, one, two, one, two. They've always got some contact with the floor um, and we're able to move very, very quickly then from side to side or forwards and backwards. Whereas if you're up in the air, you've got to land and then push off again. And those valuable seconds means that sometimes your actions look slower. So <clears throat> I think 
yeah, some just easy, simple rules. Get used to the feeling, get familiar with the feeling, then get faster. So it's exactly as you would do if you were training in a gym. You wouldn't just go in and lift a massive amount. You, you go in and build this up. You get the movement pattern down and then you'd build up the weights. Um, and it's exactly the same with the movement patterns. Get Start with something simple and then... Um, you know, build it up. The transitions are important. And also observe how your keeper moves. It may be that you have to break habits, unfortunately, like the galloping stuff. Um, but if it's not a problem, there is a question about would you fix it? Um, would you let them get away with it? And, and you know, how high can they go using some of those sorts of movements? Uh, and so, so those are the questions that I would sort of answer. Um, does that help? And Absolutely. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you what you would then look at as, as good technique in those movements. Right. So can can you describe to us if you're wow. uh, let's take um, moving forwards to moving backwards. Um, yeah. What does that change of direction look like for you when it's uh, in an ideal, like let's say, technical model? OK, I see a very compact person. So as we're going in, we've got knees bent. We've, we've got a sort of big upper body torso. We're driving with our elbows, not with our hands. I see lots of what I call drum bashing. And actually, we need to drive elbows backwards and forwards. So it's all about good technique um, with, with how you're getting your or how you're activating your feet. Like I said, it's good contact on the floor. So it's it's very small, short steps da -da 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 as we're going forward. And then that transition, we want lots of steps. At, or, or lots of small steps right at that end and we're really then pushing off backwards but again we've got to keep our balance forwards which keeps that compact movement there's there's or that compact shape rather there's there's a lot of research that's showing now actually backwards movement um, negates some of the pressures and, and tensions in various muscles and some of that repetitive strain injury if we just end a session by moving backwards um, and we've proposed all sorts of things that uh, we think about it at, at uh, where I work at the university um, and we think oh, we should have some backwards running races and stuff like that so just just to negate some of that forward pressure and that forward repetition which you know can actually if you're doing a lot of it a large volume of it can actually be detrimental and, and start to cause injury if we're not careful um, so yeah just it's think compact think powerful think agile it's um i mean i ride a motorbike and when you hit the back brake and the front brake the bike sort of closes in on itself a little bit and that's exactly the sort of shape that i'm thinking when um i'm thinking change of direction whether that's forwards backwards but equally whether that's sideways if we've got a wide base of support going from right to left sideways is going to be quite difficult having said that when we look into dive there's um, evidence now. I mean, I used to, when I first started coaching, I was like, we need an unstable base of support to be able to fall over to the right or the left. But now what we're saying is, and we're recognizing is actually we need a fairly wide, so it's about 75% of leg length um, as your base of support stance between your feet. Um, and that gives you almost this optimum to start with your so we call it a contralateral. If I'm diving to the left, I would start the push with my right hand side and then I would go move to an ipsilateral. So I would if I'm diving to the left, I'd start with my right and then push off with my left. OK, and that gives me a maximum stretch across the goal so I can hit up hit those uprights. Um, so it's it's things like that's being able to work on those sorts of patterns. So, yes, we want fairly narrow base of support but when we're about to dive when we're setting for our dive position we then want to come back into a, a slightly it doesn't have to be 75 percent but we want a slightly wider one to, just to get that half step or that power step 
And obviously, yeah, there's there's going to be some kind of then change of direction at some point, right to left. Like you, you've mentioned just diving onto the floor, but let's say the, the keeper has to then move to the left and then dive back to the right. How does how does that change Absolutely. of direction look? Because obviously you're going to kind of lean in one way and lean back the other way. How do you flip your legs around to, to get that all in uh, all in coordination? Yeah, that that's absolutely true. Um, I worked with a he was a parkour coach actually, amazingly enough, and um, we just had a little look at some of what the professional goalkeepers were doing and, and their movement patterns. So I, I was trying not to look at the ball; I was trying to look at the movement of the goalkeeper. And we noticed that there was this particular move exactly as you've described. We start and and our whole balance is moving off to the right, and suddenly we've got to flick our legs, flick ourselves the other way. We don't get as far a reach as you can imagine because we're already off balance and, and it's a lot of power strength really as well to, to move and, and flick at, at the in the other direction. But you can do that. It's, there's quite a lot of core strength involved, um, but you can, it's core control as much as anything. Um, and it is a case of that. It's part of that agility, isn't it? So, yes, you lift your feet out of the way. We're sort of used to, for the diving saves that, that are right, by my feet almost but on my left on my right hand side we have to, we have to anyway flick our feet up and put our hands down and we're landing on big big bits not pointy bits so um, we're landing on the, the almost the back of our shoulders rather than on the point of our shoulders and a lot of young keepers land on their elbows because they're a little bit worried about going all the way to the floor um, <clears throat> but yeah we need to very quickly do we take our, um, we sort of follow through with our front. So if I'm diving to the left, if I'm diving to the left, I would I would be on my right foot. That would be the, the foot that gives me the push. My hands would be going to the floor along with my shoulders and my left foot, I would be bringing across the front of my right foot to get it out of the way. And then my right foot would be joining it. So I'm, I'm sort of ending up in that horizontal um, um, movement, if you like. So we've already done half of that. So that's the easy bit is I know the ball is going to the left. And so I dive to the left, but I've got to get my legs out of the way to get myself down to block the ball. So the harder bit then is that transition. Can I do that when I'm moving? So all skills have a simple element and then a more complex. And, and that as I'm moving, transition is the more complex bit. But if we've got the simple bit down the way, we just start moving the opposite direction and then throwing ourselves back. If that makes that's sense. It's sort of complex to try and paint the picture without a picture, if you see what I mean. Yeah, you need, you need like a little stick man that you can just kind of move along. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But when, when you when you bring all this together, right, obviously you've, you've described different movement patterns and how you can go about uh, adjusting them and, and how that might alter things during a training session. But let, let's take a, a case study example. How, how have you gone about using this kind of analysis of movement and, and like training methods to improve a goalkeeper's performance? Right. That's most of what I do at the moment is is trying to assess the goalkeeper's movement now. Like I said, if it's not if it works, I will work with it and see if I can, you know, just make it that little bit better. Um, if it doesn't work, and I think what's missing a lot of the time is that backwards movement. Um, certainly, transition is missing, but the backwards movement is is missing, and I think. My thing about backwards moving and a long time ago, um, a very good coach once said to me, he said, uh, I said, how far do I come off my line? And he said, hmm, how quickly can you get back? <laughs> and I thought, oh, right. OK, yeah, 
that changes things, right? For me, that changes things. So I started trying to get back really quickly without being off balance. And a couple of times I've done some great backwards rolls. They've been brilliant because I've lost my balance as I've been charging back towards the goal. So what I've, what I've thought about that and thought, hmm, okay. So these players are asking me those same sorts of questions. And there's, you can get stats that says, oh, when the ball's on the halfway line, this is where you need to stand around about this area. And when it's coming towards your 18-yard box, we want to come back. And if you want more reaction time, you come back a bit closer. And, you know, you can get all of those things, and that's fine. But, yeah, what a great question. Individualise it. How quickly can you get backwards? And and then come to a stop and then maybe change direction and, and do something powerful. So it's a bit of it's, – it's a case of there's no actual answer. There are answers out there but I need to fit it to my goalkeepers. Um, lots of them, backwards movement, quite a few flat-footed keepers um, in terms of they when they come backwards, they come back on their heels, so they are at that angle, so their head's pointing towards the goal. And all they can do is go faster and faster because if they stop, they'll fall over. Um, and, and that's not a good place to be for a goalkeeper. So I always get them to look at, you know, are you facing the goal when you dive backwards? You know, what, what are we doing and how can we sort of overcome this? So I get them to look at that movement. Um, also, some of my young goalkeepers I'm looking at, I know that we want to develop power. Power is really important for a lot of sports, but particularly for the goalkeeper. And so I'm looking at what they do and how they are already moving in those sorts of directions. So I in order to help uh, almost bulletproof them, I hate necessarily to use that word, but it is sort of bulletproof them. I need to help them improve their strength. So we're looking specifically, how can we get them to be strong athletes? Then then we can work on that power element. And I think that things like counter movement jumps, for an example, are brilliant, right? Good athletes, regardless of sport, good athletes have higher counter movement jumps. And that's certainly one thing that's come out um, across my reading of the literature and my interpretation of, of the literature that's out there. So the better the athlete, the better and the higher their counter movement jump. What it doesn't necessarily do is just differentiate between goalkeepers and outfield players um, and various other sports. So I think the thing that, that then if we progress from that, I think things like single leg counter movement jumps, that's where the goalkeeper can now come into their element. Certainly if we're looking at jumping it outside of the body line so outside of our base of support or whether we're jumping across inside of our base of support I think we're going to see the difference between the goalkeepers and the outfield players because if you look at if you look at training movements training patterns most gym-based exercises and even um, body weight exercises you'll see they work contralateral push-off so they, they're pushing across their body line not outside of their body line um, and for the goalkeeper I think we just need to add in that extra push on that side and come outside of our body line whether we end up falling onto a crash mat or whether we just do a little hop at the end or something at least we're adding something in that gives the goalkeeper that that extra um uh, trigger if you like to, to relate it back to their performance so those are the sorts of detailed things and i'm it is really about detail so i'm looking at some of those detailed things i'm asking my young players can you do that now? And if you can't, can I put that into some of my sessions in a fun way, right? I can get them to hop over a ball off to the right-hand side. There's my ipsilateral push-off when I've done some lateral work. Um, they don't know that it is that. They just know that they're jumping over a ball. You know, they either land on their foot or they, or I ask them to dive for a ball at, at the same time. So I'm including some of those different movements too. Um, and it's just a case of 
you know, can you include that in some of your gym sessions so that we actually now strengthen some of the muscles, certainly around the knee, around the hip, um, the coordination of those, oh, and the ankle, obviously, um, and the coordination of those um, into some sort of reaction or timed movement, because obviously the ball is going to dictate the speed at which that happens. And obviously that's that's a really nice little summary of how to, to train those things. I'm, I'm interested because you just mentioned it to, to hear what a session with you might look like. So can you very, very briefly, because I'm conscious that you've, you've talked a lot about these, these things, but like yeah. take us through, let's say the warm up through to end of session for a goalkeeper who's going to work with you on a Thursday night. Okay, usually I'd start with a warm up that we've we're doing some sort of ramp protocol. I don't know if you're, you know, pulse raiser. We want to do some mobility um, and then I'd very quickly go into I'd use handling as well. But then I would do some body weight type um, activity. Now, then I've got a favorite that I like to use various hit training protocols. And I'll do them really short and really sharp because that sort of mimics what the goalkeeper does. And I've got some quick footwork patterns, like I've said before, that I've stolen from other sports that are literally 15 seconds on and 15 seconds off. And the only rule is that you do little tiny jumps or little tiny movements. And the only rule is when you go as fast as you can and you think you're going as fast as you can, go faster. And it's and it's 15 seconds on, 15 seconds on, and you build up the number of sets to that. So um, I would do something like that or... I've got a, a, um, another couple of favorites in that hit sort of section um, would be like a, a Tabata protocol. So it's 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. So in that 20 seconds, you work absolutely maximally. And again, if you think you're doing it hard, go faster. Um, and it's one of my favorite exercises for that would be the burpee. So the competition burpee. So that's the one where you, you do your burpee, you have the push up at the bottom. And then when you jump up, it's either a squat jump or a tuck jump, depending on the 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 players that I'm working with and I challenge them can we maintain that number of burpees that you're doing across uh, 20 seconds so three or four maybe even five burpees in 20 seconds I don't know how fit people are out there but um, give it a bash um, and the only thing is right can you do it eight times through so that's four minutes of hard work four minutes um, which isn't a lot out of people's lives but it makes such a difference when we actually then want to put that into um, a game scenario then I, I've got some handling. I usually go through some sort of skill, um, either introduction or progression. I'll always put some sort of backwards movement in there somewhere because that might be backwards to recover. So they might come out, make a save, but then they have to move quickly backwards and then they're making another save. And it could be backwards and sideways or, you know, so we, we have this thing called announced and unannounced practice. Um, so when the keeper knows that ball is coming and they know it's going to the left-hand side, that's announced. Okay, so there's no surprises. We're not really working on reflexes. We're more working on the, the pattern um, and the technique. But then I'll progress the session because I want to have an unannounced because it's, it's yeah, you can do it when you know it's going there and you've almost got anticipation going on. What I want to know is, can you do it really quickly when you don't know it's going to happen? Um, uh, and that's the real challenge, isn't it? So sometimes I have to go from the unannounced back to the announced again, just to get them, you know, to, to build up their confidence a little bit. I like to work towards a bit of chaos as well. So I'll have some of these individual sort of drills and, and, and um, activities going on. But then I'll bring a lot of keepers together um, and 
there'll be balls moving all over the place and keepers moving around all over the place, but they'll all have specific roles. So there'll be in possession roles, out of possession roles, and then there'll be some transitioning going on. Essentially, it's a lot of players shooting balls at goalkeepers, um, but from different starting positions, they may have to take a couple of touches before they do it. They may have certain rules about how quickly they've got to do it. It looks very chaotic and the goalkeeper in the big goal that's looking to make the ultimate save has got a lot of work to do. Um, we usually have some sort of competition going on. And at the end, I always, always do some sort of um, dead ball kicking because I don't think goalkeepers get enough practice of that. So, you know, that's a very technical thing. We'll do crossbar challenge. Everybody's heard of some sort of crossbar challenge. They probably, everybody's got their own version of it. Um, my version, the keepers don't know they're getting the practice and they have, you know, five, 10, 15 touches at the end of every single game. Uh, and they love, you know, can we hit the crossbar? They love getting that accuracy and they've got to lift the ball up. So it doesn't matter where they stand. They've got to lift the ball up and they've got to see if they can hit the crossbar. So, you know, we'll always have some sort of um, fun game. It's got to be fun. It's got to be dynamic. It's got to be high tempo. And, and you know, I'll be looking around and oh, you see some fantastic saves, even when you're not looking for it. You know, if you're you, you've got a keeper that's not working in the main body of the session, does something and you think, wow, I'm working this keeper here, that keeper doing that and that keeper's doing something else. So it looks great. It looks a bit chaotic. All the keepers that I work with regularly sort of know about some of these drills. And so for them, I think they have more fun. I've noticed when I introduce it to new keepers, they sort of look very shocked and have to work gently into that chaos. But um, as long as they end end up the session, they look like they've worked hard and they look like they've enjoyed it, then I'm happy. Absolutely excellent. So, Julia, massive thanks for your time and efforts today. It's been a pleasure <laughs> talking. Where can people find out a little bit more about you and uh, what you're up to? Okay, um, I am on Twitter. I'm not sure if we call it Twitter still or whether it's X, but um, yeah, my my that Twitter. <laughs> I'll stick with Twitter. Twitter's the thing, so um, I like Twitter. So um, I'm on there. My handle's at West underscore Jules, um, J U L E S. So come along, have a look, see what I do. I post lots of stuff about goalkeeping. Um, I also post a little bit on sports science and especially sports psychology, um, which is sort of my area of teaching. Um, and yeah, that actually is a social media site. That is the one site that you could probably find me at. The, the others I sort of dibble and dabble at, but um, yeah, Twitter, I'm actually on there. Um, I also work for Worcester City Women Football Club. So if you have a look at their website, you can see that a lot of the stuff that I'll do will either be on that website or I'm supporting what they're doing. Um, and then um, I also work at the University of Worcester. So again, come visit that site, come and look at the Institute of Sport and Exercise uh, Science and you'll find we do a whole range of stuff. And I think we punch very high above our weight there. So yeah, feel free to have a look around and contact people that, that might have similar interests. And we've Brilliant. got a very good S&C department there as well. So <laughs> come and have a look. Very good. <laughs> very good. Julia, massive thanks. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Julia for all of her hard work on this podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more great sports science information, including more information from Julia herself, get yourself into the Coach Academy completely free for the next seven days using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds' time. What's more, every time you complete a course, you'll get a certificate of completion which improves your ongoing education. 
And if you enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me and Matt Solomon for Science of Sport. And I'll speak to you next week.